Welcome to Women Winning Divorce. I am your host, Heather Quick. I am an attorney, entrepreneur, author, and founder of Florida Women's Law Group, the only divorce firm for women by women. I love thinking big, thinking outside the box, creating creative solutions for women and empowering women to win in all aspects of their life. Our approach at Florida Women's Law Group is to provide women with a strategy to not only achieve their objectives, but win at life. I believe that what may show up as adversity is simply an opportunity to change and improve your life. In each episode, I sit down with innovative professionals and leaders who are focused on how you can be your best self before, during, and after divorce. In these conversations, we are looking at how women can win at life. I have the unique opportunity to meet women when they are at a transition period of life, but that is only the beginning to becoming your best self and winning at life on your terms. With our guests, we enjoy the opportunity to explore ways all women can win and enhance their life, no matter where they are in their journey, because divorce is just a point in life, not the end and not what defines you, rather a catalyst for your growth. Welcome to today's episode of Women Winning Divorce. I'm Heather Quick, owner and attorney of Florida Women's Law Group. Today, I'm joined by Ann Hamer. She's a family law and divorce attorney in Tennessee, an author, and an involved member of the legal community in Nashville and Memphis. Welcome to the show, Anne. I am excited to discuss celebrity divorce with you today. That sounds fun. Thank you. I'm excited to discuss it as well. Well, Anne, can you share with me and our listeners your journey to where you are today and specifically, you know, in, in the family law and divorce world? How'd you get For there? Sure. Well, it's been a it's been a winding road. I worked when I got out of undergrad. I was just not ready to go back to law school. First, any lawyers who are sitting here listening, they probably understand that feeling of, oh, my God, three more years of looking at books. Um, so I worked in corporate America and uh, I ended up in New York working for Lehman Brothers at the time was still around and then went to law school at NYU. Uh, and when I got out, I wanted to go back to Nashville. That's where I had um, started my career after college. And I went back there and worked for a big law firm, Asbury and Sims, and I enjoyed it. Uh, I loved the people that I met there. The quality of work, as they always say, was fantastic, wonderful clients, uh, really complex litigation um, issues, but I just was kind of bored. We used to say you're um, representing the overdog, and that's how I felt about it. So I went into a plaintiff's firm uh, down in Memphis, and I just loved it. I, that was pretty fun. We were suing Ford Motor Company and General Motors on behalf of people who'd been injured with product liability lawsuits. And I, I did really enjoy that. Uh, again, really hard. You're on the road a lot. It's a lot of, you know, uh, intricate litigation issues. But I did like it a lot. Uh, and then I got married. And I took, two t- I took 10 years off, raised my baby. And once I got them you know, where they were in school full time. One of my girlfriends came to me and she had a family law firm and she said, I want you to come work for us. But I don't know anything about divorce. I, I don't know anything about it. And she said, it's so easy. It's all in one little book. You know, we have one <laughs> statute. Just read that book. So uh, I went into it. I went and got my mediator's uh, certificate and started practicing family law with her and really learned so much. It was a firm of all women. I was there for nine years and I learned a ton from them. Just fabulous environment. But uh, nine years in, you know, you're kind of ready to spread your wings. So that's when I started out on my own in Memphis and took that firm to Nashville as well. And so our Nashville firm opened Friday at Tamer and Taylor. And we um, we're really, really excited about it. I think we offer something 
really unique to the Nashville community after practicing there for the last five years. Uh, I've learned that community pretty well and what what the needs have been and where I don't think it's being served. So I'm I'm excited to be able to do it. That is wonderful. Tell me a little bit about that, though, because I think that's so important for our listeners as far as what is that need that has not been met that you um, are able here's, to do with your firm? Here's what I think about about it. it comes from two places. One, I am divorced. So when I got divorced, I knew exactly what kind of lawyer I wanted, but I also knew the entire procedure. Okay. So I wasn't, I was scared personally, but as far as divorce and what was going to happen next in the litigation process, I knew that backwards and forwards. I could work on my own case. I could really help my lawyer get where I needed to go. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized my clients were, I could see from inside them and realize this is the information they don't have. So the way that I like practicing and the thing that I think is uh, what we are able to provide in a boutique experience is a lot of attention. Every single one of my clients has my cell phone number. Every single one of my clients has my paralegal cell phone number. Every single one of my clients has an associate cell phone number if they're working on my cases. Uh, the boutique experience, that small feel where you can get hold of somebody when you need to, that's what I think sets us apart from a bigger firm or a small firm that's just too busy. Uh, you got to be able to touch the client when when they need that that pat on the back or they need that hand holding and that might be Saturday and that might be uh, Thursday at eight o'clock. Not all lawyers want to practice that way and I don't love it all the time, obviously, but it is necessary in our kind of work. Okay. Well, that is that's um, very exciting that you know you've got that office now in Nashville as well. Um, and I love, you know, your journey, uh, you know, to kind of get to family law, because I think that's really important for our listeners to understand as well. And um, now I want to start off today by highlighting, though, that you are really a champion of maintaining the peace in family law matters, so to speak. And why do you choose to run your practice this way? Well, it's, it's economically better for the client, always. Um, I've got a case right now that could just super duper blow up. It's got lots of... Um, uh, wiretapping issues. Mom had the kids get into dad's computer. Then the kids took dad's computer to mom's house. Mom won't give it back. Um, wiretapping seemed to be a bigger, bigger thing that we see because of how, the way people treat the Apple Watch, the phone, the computer, the family shared passwords that now no longer are shared, all that kind of stuff. That's a case I could blow up real quick because it's, a, mm -hmm. it's pretty bad, right? I could get the DAs involved and we could get into a lot of, um, you know, get into the mud. But neither one of these people have a lot of money. They have a lot of kids. They need to co-parent together. And so in my personal view, it's better. You are going to co-parent way better with someone who's not doing you for wiretapping fraud or anything else like that, right? I mean, right. it's just hard to say, oh, I can't wait to go pick them up and get them a pizza and drop them back off at your house on time when you're when you're mad over litigation. Um, yeah. I don't think, I do, I'll say this, having practiced different kinds of litigation, uh, you know, there are times when it makes sense to be the aggressor or um, bring an aggressive approach. Right. It is rare that I think that there is that time in family law. I think there's a strategic approach for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, building your case, knowing your case, understanding if you need experts, what power do you have based on the information you've got <clears throat> and the way your client behaves versus the way the other party behaves. Those all give you power to strategize. But strategy is different than um, conflict. And yes. I think if you can keep that conflict down, 
you'll get so much further. And I try to explain that to my clients and most of them understand that economically they need to be focusing that way. Not all, not all, but, but most do understand that. And, and they're able to, to go along. We, we create a strategy together based on the facts of the case that lets them feel like they're a little bit more in control of how they're spending their, their money on their legal fees. Which I, I think goes a long way. And I know, you know, sometimes in family law, well, not sometimes, I mean, you can't control the other person, right? But you can control how you respond and hopefully influence that to get to a better spot where a settlement is possible. Um, and like you said, not not for all cases. However, I agree, you know, that's something we talk about with our clients all the time. You know, can't control what they do, but we can control our response and, you know, plan our strategy and hopefully, you know, get them to recognize the error of their ways when they are being, um, having bad behavior for. Yes. Nice bad person. behavior. Yes. Yes. Now, yes. do you think this counts what you're talking about, you know, trying to keep the peace, maintaining the peace, would you say that counts as collaborative law or collaborative divorce? Because we're often asked what that means and, and does it mean you're just wanting to be amicable? I don't think so. And I'll tell you why. And I'm not, a, I'm not collaboratively trained. Um, and I don't think I ever will be. I've gone to some of their seminars, but the collaborative world, I do still believe in. I do believe in litigation. I do think sometimes that is just the only solution. I believe in the power of the court to force somebody to do things the right way. And, you know, like I do, that we there are a lot of people in our in our industry who lie, not the lawyers, but the client. And when you go into collaborative law, what I've tried to explain to my clients when they ask me, of course, I'm going to be collaborative as an adjective in the way I work with opposing counsel. Yes. But true collaborative law requires two lawyers who've been trained in it and nothing uh, that the clients tell each other is under oath. And so because of that, because they're just sitting down in a room talking to each other and saying, oh, here are all our bank records, honey. This is exactly what my business is worth. You know, you don't have any way to hold them to that number or or prove or disprove that they're lying. And I think that that having those oaths that we require in true litigation is important to keep everybody honest. I do believe collaborative can work for some very specific situations where both partners have agency information. Maybe let's say they work together in a company. They agree to have it valued um, or both parties have all the financial information. And frankly, if there's other information out there, then they just don't want to get it. You know, what we call dirt. They may just not want the dirt and I, that's fine too. But I just don't ever want to be uh, lost out of representing my client. And with a collaborative law, you know, if, if it doesn't work out, they can't use you. And I feel like go find you a collaborative lawyer. If he or she can get it done, great. And if they can't come back to me, I'm your courtroom lawyer. <laughs> that's okay. what I do. Absolutely. Now, does operating in this way, certain obstacles in your legal approach to cases do you think um as far as you know trying to maintain the peace but yet still advocating for your client it can it can at times and uh, and most counsel i find on the other side very open to getting things done working it out almost everybody now you know we've been doing mandatory mediation in tennessee for so many years everyone's used to that and as long as you've got a smart lawyer on the other side uh, you're fine. When you get a busy lawyer on the other side, sometimes it's a problem because you can't get their attention. And that's when you're thinking, well, I'm just going to let the court decide because I can't get these people to even answer or respond yeah. or get involved. Um, and I will say this, and I don't know if you found this, and I, I, I have seen a little bit of 
well, let's do this and let's do that first. And I know it's because the lawyer's using up that retainer. And that just makes me sick. I just hate it. I get it. I, I understand it. I love money just like everybody else. But if you can get in there and get out and they can get through mediation and be done before the retainer's blown, then that's the way to do it. Uh, and I think it's hard for our clients to figure out, well, which attorney can I trust to, to really have my best interest at heart financially, as well as trying to win my case? Because uh, because that's a you know that's a, a balance for sure. We could spend a lot of money and never really get you anything better than what I could get you in the first mediation. But right. sometimes clients want to go down those roads, and and you know, if I'm their lawyer and that's the road they want to go, then that's the way we'll do. I know you've heard them say, "I'd rather pay you than him," or "I'd rather pay you than her." Oh, they say yeah. it. They but I really it. try to talk them out of it. <laughs> I know. I, 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 I agree. I've had those very same questions. You can pay me or you can pay them. But like at why the end of the both? day, why pay both? <laughs> and why don't we do something that makes some logical sense here, right? Yeah, and yeah. take the emotions out of it. Now, how do you maintain a certain level of professionalism as, um, you know, a client who might, for a client, you know, might be going through a very high conflict? or a complex asset divorce? It is hard. Um, I know what you're talking about. The, the emotions that the client has to put out there, um, it can be wearing on us for sure. Uh, and to, to keep things very professional, I think the more they can communicate through email, the better because they get a lot of that out in the emailing. And then I'll set up a conference call. Okay, but now you can come in and we're going to talk like grown-ups. Or now we're going to, you know, just if you can keep them in writing a lot of the time, they can get the emotions out in the writing and then you can meet with them and say, now let's go over all this. And it saves them money because instead of calling you at every single time, um, I actually learned that from my divorce attorney where he would set up uh, meetings every three weeks. And so I always knew we're moving the case along. We're meeting and I'm going to see him face to face. And in those three weeks in between, that gives his associate time to work on my file. That gives me time to do the part I'm supposed to be doing. And I don't really need to call unless we've just learned some new evidence or there's some big, you know, issue. Mm -hmm. um, and those are the things you and I've talked about that do come up. The kids do things and, and uh, parenting time gets wonky in the holidays. And of course, there are already are always issues that come up after hours or on weekends. But um, but it, I think the more that the, you can explain to the client, they're going to save a lot of money. The more they put in writing to you to be discussed at a later date, um, I can shoot an email out like that. I can shoot a text out like that. I cannot sit down and talk to you about every aspect of your case without it costing you $500 an hour. So you may want to do it the easy way. And most yeah. of them tend to. Once they see that bill, I think they do like it that way. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it helps establish some um, boundaries and also just, uh, you know, I think it's helpful for our clients. Because the majority of our clients, this is their first really interaction um, with a lawyer, right? So they don't really mm -hmm. know. They've seen it on TV. They've seen the movies. And they're really not sure, well, how does this relationship work, you know, for me? And the emotions get a hold of them. And, you know, they start with a lot of emails and phone calls. And it's just... It's helping them recognize, okay, this is going to come and happen, but this is the plan to follow. And for the best use of your funds, you ought not pick up the phone every day. And yeah. and, and, they, and really, you know, we, we're not able to answer and, and talk every no. day, you know, to every no. client. So I think that helps. 
I think I might, um, I'll tell you some things I've been doing recently. Uh, speaking, uh, we were talking about wiretapping and the social media aspect of all the electronics we've always got going on. Um, I started sending out letters to explain how I want them to handle their social media, or at least how I expect them to handle it and how, what the pitfalls will be if they do not. Uh, and they can sure ignore it. I mean, often they do. But I think I might start sending out a letter on uh, how to handle um, contact with our office. You know, who can you call in my office who is on salary? Who are you calling and contacting in my office who is on your billable bill? And and where are you going to see that every month? And how how emails are more effective? Plus, I do think when they're putting that stuff in writing, they have to think about it. And so it helps them kind of understand their strategy, their case, the facts, whatever they're trying to tell you. Uh, it helps them to put it down in writing and look at it and, and read it over a couple of times and think, okay, yes, now this is part of the record my attorney's going to have of how I've wanted things handled. And I can look back on it because I'll take good notes, but you know, I can look back on their emails and say, oh yeah, they emailed me that settlement offer. And then they emailed me this one. And this is what was changing about it. It's really nice to be able to fly through something like that and, and get back up to speed with the case really quickly. So I may start sending them a little... <laughs> A little letter that just explains it and give them give them something else to look at. I just wrote a book. I know we were going to talk about that at some point, and I literally wrote it for that reason because my clients were making such goofy mistakes like that about their money, wanting to talk, wanting to know all these things. Right. I thought, dang, it, you know, it's just so expensive for them every time they call me to say, now explain discovery again. So I wrote the book because I thought this way they've got it. They know it's me talking. It's right. sitting by their bedside table, and when they say, huh. What did Ann tell me yesterday when I was in there about discovery? Well, now I'm going to read it. What, what did she tell me about my financial situation and what I'm supposed to learn? Now I'm going to read it. And they can look at it 20 times instead of wondering all the time, what did she say? I can't remember. I didn't take good notes. I think probably for them coming to us, it's sort of like us going to a doctor if we've got a bad diagnosis where they always tell you, take notes, you know, make sure you write down everything the doctor says because you're uh -huh. so stressed, you're not going to remember. You're, same for us. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same for us, I think. Well, that was great. And we are, we're going to delve more into the book. Don't you worry for our listeners, but it's a perfect time for our first break. And listeners, we would so appreciate it if you left us a review so that other women going through the divorce process can find our show and join our community. We will be right back. All right, we are back from our break. And again, today I'm joined by Ann Hamer and we are having a wonderful conversation about divorce and family law and now we're going to get into some of the juicy stuff, which is celebrity divorce in this next segment. And, you know, how do you keep that private? Um, and how do you navigate that? So, and you work in Nashville and I'm sure with high profile clients. Now, how do you recommend people in the public eye or even just locally well-known people keep their divorce information to themselves and out of the media? Let me tell you, I, that is, I'm the biggest believer. I, it says on my website, I believe in discretion. I, I felt like I handled my own divorce that way. And uh, it is paramount to me. Okay. I have definitely represented some people who could not keep it to themselves. They want, you know, the things all over their Instagram and it hurts them it really does in the end, especially if I'm representing the spouse um, or the parent. And a famous person is out there with a, a big machine behind them, you know, and my person's just just trying to get onto a podcast or just trying to get her little Instagram out there about what a bad, you know, husband or dad or whatever. When you get into all that, you don't help yourself ever. You, you don't help your brand if you're trying to have a brand. Um, with my clients who have the name, then I want them to protect their brand, obviously. Mm -hmm. And 
And that could be anybody from somebody who runs a nonprofit to somebody who uh, runs their own business. They don't all have to be country music stars. Right. What I see happening, and and I will just explain it like this, and hopefully the audience understands what I'm talking about. When you start blowing up all the deep, salacious, gross, or just uh, private sexual stuff or drug stuff, because you want to see if they'll keep quiet, let me explain that when it is out there, now it is out there and you have no more power over them with that information, whatever it is, whether they've engaged in gay relationships, whether they're using drugs, whether they've all those things, if you keep them quiet, we can get a non-disclosure agreement on that. But if you bring it out, the minute it's said in the public eye, your power is gone. Right. And there's there's value in a non-disclosure agreement. Right. So now you have some leverage like you want this it's not blackmail you want this it has value so let's negotiate um yeah it's not blackmail it's just it's just let's all learn how to live with this being private and what i think is part of the problem you probably agree with me on this because you've seen it change in the practice just over really honestly since covid and tiktok i'll see people out there well look at look at adam levine okay yeah i mean now adam this is a man who's been in the public eye for years. He should know better, but he's got this little TikToker. I don't even remember her name. No one probably listening that does anymore, but right. she sure did ruin his marriage because she got out there and talking all about it and she had that. And that's where we're seeing now. It just people lose their mind and don't realize how someone they're going to trust for a hot minute that they've probably known for two days. Of course, that person wants to get famous and now has all sorts of ways to do it. TikTok will blow it up faster than Instagram ever would. Um, so it's it's a problem. And and people just don't realize how fast things have changed and how how quickly and how they have got to adapt and start being being smart about if you're gonna have an affair, then it needs to be somebody you know is gonna keep your their mouth shut. It cannot be some little person you just text because they're hot and they're they are gonna want their 15 minutes of fame. They're gonna get it too. Um, I know. And now you're speaking right often about the discretion. So, you know, in in that, I guess, you know, and I'm laughing to myself because you're like, you know, okay, you want that affair, but think about it and plan it with somebody, right. That, you know, which is not the way those usually go. Right. It's this attraction, (laughs) maybe, you know, a night of drinking, like just, they're never great decisions and usually not thought out. Right. As to what, the um, consequences would be. And so with that discretion, I guess just the way that human, many humans are wired, they just have a hard time controlling their impulses, huh? Yeah. And I think, I think they're going to just see the, the bad, bad results that were used to be able to be hidden in Hollywood or wherever they, they really aren't anymore. I mean, things yeah. are out there and, and people don't realize, I know during my divorce, uh, I just told myself, you're going to act like there's a private investigator going everywhere. Uh, I wouldn't drive with my children in the car if I was going to go have drinks with girls. Um, I was very, very careful uh, just because I should be and everyone yeah. should be. You you have someone now who you used to love and care about who does not have your best interests at heart anymore. And frankly, has the opposite. Right. Mm-hmm. They have every reason to try to find out, oh, what can I get on this person and how can I make this better for me? financially or or with parenting time, whatever it is. I'll tell you the thing that also drives me crazy. So when people bring these things up, families are involved. Children see this stuff. They may not see it when, when they're five, 
But you better bet when they're 15, one of their mean little friends is going to say, oh, did you know your mom and daddy's divorce was all over the news? And I saw it all. I can find it. All I have to do is Google it. Or guess what? At our courthouse in Davidson County, all that stuff is public record. All I have to do is put in the name and a celebrity is going to pop right up and I can read everything about their divorce trial, every little detail. And the other thing people don't think about is you're hurting yourself if you're hurting your spouse in a lot of ways. Yeah, lot. Do, you do you rely on their money? Right. Then do you really want to make it difficult for them to go get a job in the Christian music industry <laughs> because you wanted to spill the tea? Like they, they, you need them to be able to go out and get those jobs. Uh, you, you don't need them to be humiliated because you might need them. You might need them for um, you might. And even if you're the higher earning spouse, do you want your spouse to be able to go get a job? Yeah, you do. So don't tell everyone she's an alcoholic. Yeah. Just keep it. And then for the poor kids, it's just horrible. And it's really it's for, I think, a short term you know, what you believe is going to feel good. Like I got you back, but it, the ramifications usually, it just really is going to come back on you equally, if not more. Yeah. Uh, I try to tell my people, find one person. It's going to be really hard not to talk. So when they do know dirt and they do know something bad and we're going to try to use it, I say, you know, find your mom or your sister or someone who lives out of like your best friend who lives in New York, but someone you can talk to, but not these little people that are all around in your world. Because the minute you start getting on Facebook going, guess what my wife did, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh-uh. Now it's gone. Now it's out there. Everybody's like, oh, well, she's kind of a tramp. But, oh, well, it's over. And now what, what, what inspiration does she have to try to work things out? None. It's like, well, you already called me that to all our Facebook friends, all 2,000 of them. Exactly. <laughs> Not, exactly. Now, ridiculous. Okay, you talked about. Um, certainly in Nashville, um, with the public records essentially, but is there anything you can do to keep your divorce docket from being public? It's really hard. Um, it is really, really, really hard. Nashville is not big on keeping them public, uh, uh, private. Uh, and we have tons and tons of famous people and they are all out there in the public. I saw some guy in court getting, um, and he wasn't famous at all, but his wife was accusing him of watching their niece through a peephole and videoing her and all this stuff. And he really wanted that under seal. Yeah. And the judge just said, you got to be kidding me. I mean, you're just like everybody else. If you want it under seal, don't do it. If, it's, if you're going to do something like that, that's maybe a reason not to really give it a second thought. Yeah. So I, I have had some success um, putting things under seal. If you will agree to a... Um, and if there's if there are maybe trade secrets or something like that that are going to come out in a in a document. But generally, that's really just a way you're kind of trying to get around. Mm, there might be some ugly stuff and we don't want we don't want anybody to know about it. Right. Most judges will not do it. Most judges, if they're paying attention, just will not do it. Wow. The um, And in Florida, we have the sunshine laws where, I mean, you have to go through a few more hoops. You can't necessarily get it all directly online, but. It's all there. They're not going to seal it um, very, yeah. very rarely. Um, I think maybe if you could do it in one of our smaller counties, like some of our mm -hmm. small counties during COVID agreed to do uh, divorces for people who didn't live there because you could just mail everything in. It was super easy. They got the fees. And if you could agree to one of our small counties where uh, you would have to go into the courthouse, you would have to know to ask for the file. You know, it's not going to be some woman in your carpool who says, I'm going to go find out all about Ann Hamer's divorce. I'm going to go out to yeah. Murray County and get the file out of a 150-year-old courthouse. It'll be a, you know, a reporter or someone. Yeah. But but if you wanted to keep it away from just your social group, 
you could definitely do it that way. But the best thing is just keep your mouth shut. My God, that's mm-hmm. way easy. I swear, just don't drink too much and get on, get on, don't get drink too much and get on Facebook. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, can you avoid being seen in a divorce firm's office as a person with a following? Like, do you do things virtually? Do you try to implement yes. any of those kind of things for discretion? We're very virtual now. In fact, in fact, I mean, our firm is almost a virtual firm. I have paralegals who don't come into the office. They they work virtually. Uh, I have two of those, and they work with the documents. They handle everything. Everything's on OneDrive or on our um, server. We don't. If a if a client wants to come in, fine and dandy. If they don't, we can do the whole divorce by Zoom. Uh, especially with Nashville, and I don't know last time you visited us, but downtown can be a, a total party. It's just nuts downtown and so if people don't want to drive in i totally understand it It, the traffic's gotten really bad it's a lot like a new atlanta and uh you know we can zoom everybody and they don't have to come in they don't have to be seen um i think that's just everything's gone that way since covid anyway it's just once people figured out how much easier it was saves them time saves money just a great way to do it i mean we try to zoom everything we can with the court If if it can be done by zoom we'll do it that way Now, do you, and I think so too, especially with discretion and in a big city and, you know, where clearly be obvious where someone's going, I think that's great to provide that, give you a little bit more anonymity, Um, especially in the beginning when you're, you know, maybe investigating, thinking about a divorce, you don't want to be seen going to a lawyer's office, right? Right. Um, Now, do you find that most high asset or high profile people are willing to settle in mediation or they still want to battle in court. Honestly, in my practice, this is this is just my personal practice. I find they do want to settle. The ones who want to go to court are not my high asset people. They're the people, the trials I try are consistently people who don't financially have the means to do it. I mean, they have enough because they pay me, right. but they shouldn't. They really shouldn't. Trials are so expensive now. When I tell people, if I'm going to trial for you, you're looking at 120000 and up. Now, in Florida, that probably doesn't sound like that much. We have trials here that'll go over a million dollars. Okay. And for, for, for not for necessarily celebrities, but definitely, I think there was a recent celebrity trial where um, attorney fees were between, were maybe 400 on one side and 700 on the other. I took a client over from a firm where she had paid half a million to go to trial and actually, actually didn't go to full trial, just was in court constantly so much, they ended up settling it. Her fees were half a million. Her husband was half a million. It's a real well-known case. And and it was just sort of illustrated how things get out of hand when the attorneys aren't managing the conflict the way they ought to. Uh, And sometimes our clients don't listen to us. And we know that's hard. Um, But I'm starting to think if you've got those clients, just tee it up for trial right off the bat. Just say, look, this is going to be this kind of a case. Then let's just go ahead and get it done with the judge. And instead of spending $500,000 to get there, let's spend two and just be done with it. Because if you're in there fighting over every time somebody wants an extra day of parenting time or an extra you know, $50,000, when these people are worth tens of millions, just go to court, get your court date, get done. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, the, um, and in, Usually, as at least as the attorneys, we see that coming. We know we're like, okay, mm-hmm. this thing is not going to be working out. It, you guys want to continue to fight, but all right, we we're going to take our break. But as a teaser, when we get back, I do want to ask if there is 
you know, a most memorable or most famous case you've worked on, but we're going to make the listeners wait. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. And if you're enjoying our show um, and guests, we would love for you to leave us a review and share with a friend. We will be right back. Well, we are back from our last break. And again, today I'm joined by Ann Hamer. And we've been talking all about divorce when you're a celebrity or a public figure. And some of the, most of the don'ts, right? Most of what please don't do. But um, I did mention before our last break that I was going to ask Ann to tell us the most memorable or most famous case she's worked on that she can share with us. I would love to, and I can't, and I think you know, because I've <laughs> got to keep, keep everything quiet. I'll tell you my favorite celebrity divorce case. This is my do. This is my absolute do um, is Giselle Bündchen and Tom Brady. I don't think anyone's done it better. Um, maybe back in the day, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise, they were able to keep things really, really quiet. But I just think Giselle and and Tom did it the exact right way. It was done very, very quickly. Um, it was super private. And we haven't heard either one of them saying negative things. There weren't any allegations of you know, like poor Brad Pitt and Angelina, where they're throwing around, you can't have the kids, you're an alcoholic, this kind of craziness. Their divorce is still going on, I believe. It's just Aunt. nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. It's nuts. And that's just, and that's when, personally, that's when I start looking at somebody and thinking there's, and when my clients do it, not just anybody out there, I'm not trying to be critical, but when my clients just repeatedly are bringing conflict, then I'm looking at a mental health issue because we're all adults. And as we get older and older, we ought to have more self-control, not less. Uh, more ability to see the big picture, more ability to make decisions that aren't uh, maybe fun for us, but that are better for uh, the greater good, which is to include our children. Um, and and frankly, it just looks better on you. I mean, no one's looking at Giselle going, oh, my God, you just divorced the hottest, you know, football player ever to play the game. I'm sure he's also really great at it. Right. But but, you know, no one's looking at her going, she's an idiot. And no one's looking at him thinking, Ah, you're kind of an asshole. I mean, no one's thinking that because guess what? We don't know what they did. We and don't it's, know. And it's, it's not even in the headlines. It's it was no. it was on and then off, and because yep. they did handle it with discretion and privately, mm-hmm. and they can move on. Yeah, with their careers and for their children, like they really sure. did um, make sure they were thinking they were thinking about their children, but as well as their future careers in media. Right. Right. I think it's the way them. to do it. Mm-hmm. And you can see, you can see the difference when you look at that. And when you look at Amber and Johnny Heard, I mean, Amber, Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, yeah. when you look at that craziness, which who didn't, it was a, just watching the train wreck that you couldn't. Again and uh, again and again. It just you couldn't stopped. take your eyes off it. Right. And, and I mean, I, I loved Johnny Depp when he was the Pirates of the Caribbean, but now I look at him like, dang, dude, you are a nut. And she is obviously, I think she's crazy. So now what? What does that do for either one of their careers? And he's supposed to be this, you know, Disney person, and that's all. That's he's not Disney caliber anymore, right? So I don't know. I just think that that shows you the exact way not to go, right? Absolutely, absolutely. The um. All right, now let's talk about this. Like in you know, because when we're talking about a high asset case, um or complex assets, you know, and when you divide them, how is that process different? Um, you know, that you have complex assets or maybe very rare assets like collections. It's, it's so one thing I wrote about in my book that I wanted people to understand is how, th- how things do get divided up, right? And you can be very creative. And in the more complex cases, there's a lot of creativity involved. In my simple cases, you're looking at some bank accounts, a house, uh, two cars, and everybody just takes half, right? 
or close to half. And then there's probably some alimony involved. But nowadays, with so many more women making good money, uh, we don't see alimony in that income group as often as we used to. With that, with the complex cases, especially when my clients, when I would say something's complex, it's unvaluing a business, a business interest, um, a business ownership. And we've got to figure out how to pay someone out. And maybe that person who's got the business needs the liquidity and they can't afford to put a bunch of cash out, you know, all at once, all at the time of the divorce. So we look for creative ways, just like you were saying about, a, let's say there's an art collection and they just can't agree to divide it up. Um, these are things where you have to get creative. Well, what if you share it? What if one person, you know, keeps the, the Monet for, I don't know, five years, another one gets it for five more years or uh, with the businesses, maybe you just want to buy them out uh, over time um, or give them a, pro- a percentage of the proceeds over time. So over time is a big way in those, in those, and you, you know, we are all watching poor Donald Trump out there with his finances all over the world. And we think he's super wealthy. I mean, I think he has gold faucets in all those buildings, but I don't know what his liquidity is. Every time he turns around, there's somebody trying to get him to go bankrupt. Right. So what would that look like to, to really divide an estate up like that? And uh, for my clients, if I've got the wife in those situations, I always say a bird in the hand is more, worth more than two in the bush, right? We want the one we've got. We want the money that's here right now. We don't know that that could all be smoke and mirrors um, or it could all go crashing down. So you really have to be pay attention to what is the what is the um, risk is a risk and reward situation for these people when they're getting divorced, especially if they're in a business uh, that's got any kind of precarious nature to it uh, with regard to what the what the future um, profits are going to be. Now, um, I know that we certainly do this, but I think it's good to always speak on, you know, having other experts, you know, like business valuators, accountants, and sometimes maybe other attorneys, you know, as part of your team with complex cases. I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, One of the things I love about my practice and bringing my national practice into or starting my own national practice is I was working with fabulous lawyers out of Memphis. And I wasn't able to bring them in on my cases. And I felt like, gosh, I've got all this talent. I've got, you know, one guy who's written 43 uh, appeals at the Court of Appeals, and he's just a brilliant writer. And, and I've got, you know, fabulous litigators down here with tons of experience. How can I get them into Nashville with me and and make this, give my clients all the resources, right? So that was one of the, one of the reasons that that was a big catalyst for me getting my own firm going up there is I really needed, um, I needed that expertise you can be great on your own, but you're always better with someone extra great with you, right? I mean, that just that just adds to it. And one thing people may or may not understand about lawyers is we don't tip, typically duplicate at all. I mean, if I'm getting ready for trial, then I'm getting three witnesses ready for trial and my co-counsel is getting the other three ready. And one person might have this kind of expert that they're handling. Um, and same for experts, for sure. I, I have some fabulous experts that I just love using. And so I wanted to be able to bring the experts that I know have great track records at the Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court. And I want them to be on my cases, no matter where I'm practicing in the state of Tennessee. So um, I bring them on board, whether it's Chattanooga, Knoxville. I don't have anything in Knoxville, but I do it in Chattanooga, Memphis, Nashville, all the little counties around Nashville. Um, uh, you know, I can bring those guys anywhere. They can come by Zoom. They can come for the day. Uh, we often bring experts out of state, you know, who are just really, really good at what they do and they fly down. And you need those people, especially, like you said, in those big cases, you're going to have some experts and you want the best. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, just for our listeners that you understand, you, uh, you may understand the asset, but you can't always communicate it to the court as well. And even, and, you know, usually by the, by the time we're ready for trial, your attorney understands it very well as well, but we can't testify. So that's what we need these experts to educate the court, basically to explain to the court this value, what's different about it and, and how, um, you know, and how to best divide it or come up with it. And um, I think it makes all the difference in the world. I don't know about you, but I'm seeing what I'm sort of in a dearth of right now is experts on psychological issues because with these, I have so many clients with children in therapy. I mean, I would say most of my clients' children are either in therapy or my client's trying to get an agreement to get them into therapy. But my therapist, I, I have not found any, most of them don't want to testify. Uh, and they'll flat out tell you we're not going to court. Um, some of them will agree to do it, but I don't know how much credibility they have with my judges. That's been a problem a little bit. So um, I wish more therapists and more more psychologists and psychiatrists, really, I need that PhD level. I wish I could find more of those people out there who are willing to testify in court. We're just having such a hard time getting those people to do it. And then the one or two that do, it's so hard to get your, your clients in. And you want them to be seen long enough where they, you know, they actually not just evaluating, well, I'll look at, you know, some records that I got from their primary therapist. I want them to really have the experience with this one. And it's hard to get that done right now. Just I, not I think enough. so. I think there's yeah a shortage or the demand is so high. And right. It's that right level um, with the Ph.D. level and preferably some experience testifying so mm -hmm. that they are prepared and can actually be helpful. Um, yeah. But now, okay, let me ask you this, specifically just being um, in Nashville, so close to the music industry, um, I'm sure you've encountered this, but, you know, what do you do with non-physical or monetary assets like music rights or royalties? Like how, what kind of expertise you bring in for that? Like how is that those, determined? Those are getting kind of tricky. And I, I did just do a really big, um, we did a marital dissolution agreement with a pretty big book. Um, the, the songwriter had a lot of songs and they're still very, very popular. So, um, that was a little tricky. Here's why the record companies. So what used to be is, um, they would just divide. They just say, we put in the marital dissolution agreement. We're just going to split, uh, the royalties 50, 50. You're just going to write my ex-wife a check or my ex-husband a check, uh, whenever my checks come in and the checks are coming in from all over. Right. So the management company is getting thousands and thousands of checks. Uh, hopefully that, that's what makes everybody rich. So right. hundreds of thousands of checks, right? And they're saying, okay, a check came in for $500 from, I don't know, Apple Music, 250 to wife, 250 to husband. Well, they're not doing it anymore. They're just over it. Uh -huh. So we're, we're starting, we're starting to see them say, no, we won't do it. You may get divorced all you want, buddy, but you're going to have to figure out how to get the money to the spouse because we're not handling that for you. It's too much. And especially, let me point out, if you've got, some big time songwriter who now isn't or artist who's not making that kind of money anymore. Their management company still likes them, but they're not the Taylor Swift, right? They're the um, kind of winding down. Mm -hmm. My songs maybe be popular for a little bit longer. Um, so with those people, uh, we are coming up with some new language and it's more like an assignment. And the spouse who's going to be getting the money has the right to come in and do an accounting so they can make sure, you know, I know what you got from your management company this year. You wrote me a check for X and make sure that that's all on the up and up. 
that's an easier way. It's not it's not as safe as it used to be when the management companies were writing the checks, but it's what we've got to do if they won't do it. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's I can see that that could get really complex uh, with obviously the more money coming in. And I didn't think about it, but from so many different sources. So that's an accounting right. nightmare. I mean, that's a, an that's accounting a nightmare. Job. I can mm-hmm. see why the management company's like, unless I'm getting paid more, I, I am not doing this. Yep. And, and when you've got an assignment, also you've got to think about, all right, now I've assigned the right to my ex-spouse, but I want to sell my book. What if I want to sell it, right? And I'm and I'm put it all together and I've got all these songs and, I, and I'm ready to sell it. Well, now she's got an assignment. So I've learned from Rose Blair as the number one premier um, uh, music industry divorce lawyer in Nashville. And she taught me, I did a mediation with her talking about getting an expert in who can really help you work through those things. Huh? She taught me uh, with those assignments, just be ready to tell them, you know, don't you want your money up front too? I'm about to get 20 million. And if you'll assign it out to whoever's buying it, right, you'll get your 20 million. And and usually you can get the spouse to buy on that. And they're like, yeah, that, that seems good. Again, more money up good. front. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just remember when you've got that assignment out there and somebody's going to buy your book, then do they want it? If it's signed, half of it's assigned to your spouse? Your yeah. spouse? Yeah. Right. So, you got to be able to negotiate that and just keep that in the future. And so now when I'm doing my agreements like that, I'll put in there, we'll agree, you know, we'll agree to assign. Uh, but maybe you want to put a collar on it as far as if it's over a certain amount or as long as it's, a, you know, over a certain amount of money in between this and this, she'll agree or he'll agree. Um, the, you know, a prenup. Let's just talk about prenups. Well, yeah, that was my next question. Prenup, postup. Oh my gosh, that's a whole other show, right? <laughs> no one knows they're going to get rich at twenty when they get married. But I my God, know. then there's that first song breaks, and there you are, and uh, and all that can be marital. You know, you just hindsight's twenty twenty. Nobody really knows it's coming, but prenups for for these guys is super important. I feel like with the music industry people, they ought to treat them just like they treat basketball. You know, professional athletes. They ought to have a sit down. Somebody ought to be handing them a prenup right away. Say, I don't know who you're dating, but she, she or he is going to be signing this. Um, mm-hmm. Then you don't have to see all the drama and hear all the drama. Absolutely. Now, and how often are those upheld in court in in um, Tennessee? Tennessee is is a big time um, supporter of prenups and frankly, a pretty good supporter of postnups. We have really good case law. If you just follow the case law on prenups and postnups in Tennessee, it's going to get upheld. The, the new thing we've been doing, just based on a few random cases that were pretty difficult, uh, is videoing them. I know they're doing it in Atlanta, and I've started doing it with all of mine, just to make sure I've got a video that shows the person sober, uh, admitting that they're not using any kind of drugs or any kind of alcohol during the experience of the signing, that they've read it. Um, because you wouldn't believe what people will come back in and say, well, I just wasn't represented by counsel. Well, what? They signed the thing. So now you can say, well, there they were. They were sitting there on the video uh, right next to you. That's Mr. So-and-so, isn't it? So that, I think, is going to be a good, uh, you know, just sort of best practices kind of thing for us. And, and I'm going to keep doing that. And it's easy. You just save it on the server, send a co- copy to your client. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got one. Even if I'm long dead, they're going to have right. a copy. They better keep a copy they of that They better keep thing. a copy, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Now, um Lastly, so we have run out of time and I can't believe it went so quickly. I've had such a great conversation with you and I know that our listeners have enjoyed it um, as well. But let me ask you as a last question, are there certain considerations you should take to protect your reputation or public image as a public figure going through a divorce or a custody matter? 
Hmm, well, I think we're just kind of back to discretion. You need to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> you don't need to be telling everybody that you know about what's happening inside your marriage. Um, I think you also need to be on your P's and Q's with drinking out in public, uh, going to parties, going to bars, um, how you're seen. Very important. I'll tell you one of my favorite celebrities is Taylor Swift. I know she's not getting a divorce, but I'll tell you this. You don't ever see that girl crazy out of control anywhere. She always has it together. Um, she's always on brand with how she behaves in public. Mm -hmm. And I think even if you're not that person, find someone like that that you think, wow, I, I always look at that person and I think, you know, Cary Grant or um, I don't know who it could be for men. I'm trying to think of someone, uh, Lenny Kravitz. I mean, he's, he's pretty great with his, with his uh, public persona. Yeah, he's a rock star, but you don't ever see him acting stupid or goofy or anything like that. He acts like what he's supposed to be, right? Act like what you want people to think of you as. Dress like you want. Don't don't go running around all of a sudden you're you're you know in some bar with a backwards baseball cap downtown drinking till midnight. And what, what kind of father does that make you look like? Don't same for the moms. You know, don't just go on and put on the shortest skirt you can and start chasing men out at a honky tonk downtown. Just just Lay low, lay low and let the dust settle. Because if you're looking at parenting issues, that's one thing um, that you really need to be careful about. You've got to, you cannot just go out and, and lose your reputation over, uh, oh, we call it the slutty phase after the divorce. And I try to warn my clients about the slutty phase is coming. I try, first, you know, they, none of them, and you know this, they don't ever think there's going to be anything on the other side if they're the ones exactly. that's being left. Right. Then, oh, my life is over. And I always sit them down. I'm like, I know you're not going to believe me, but in two years, you're going to find someone. You're going to be dating. You're going to be out there. You're going to be doing things. You're going to be happy. Promise. But then after that is the lecture about the slutty phase. Like, you've got to just <laughs> keep this stuff on lockdown for a little while. I can't have you out there making bad decisions that are going to they're going to hurt you financially later or hurt you with the parenting plan. Well, and this has been so great. Thank you so much for being on our show today. We have each reach the end of our show and you can find Anne at annhamerlaw.com. And of course, her information will be linked below in the episode description. And she has offices in Memphis and in Nashville. So we'll make sure all of her information is available. And uh, thank you, Anne. Heather, I loved it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And for our listeners, if you or someone you know is going through a divorce or is thinking about a divorce, of course, reach out to us at floridawomenslawgroup.com or join our Facebook group, Women Winning Divorce. The link will be below in the episode description. Thank you for listening and please leave us a review and let us know who you would like to be our next guest. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Women Winning Divorce. My goal is to elevate your life and the way you are thinking so that you are best equipped to win at life. If you enjoy the show, Please subscribe so you automatically get my new shows every week. And I would love to hear from you personally. Come join the conversation on social and join our Facebook group, Women Winning Divorce. We welcome your comments and suggestions. We want to bring you content that helps move your life forward. Women Winning Divorce is the place for an elevated conversation on how women can thrive during times of adversity in order to live their best life.